stay tuned to Vinyl Community Podcasts. What's going on, buddies? Concert buddy. Back here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. I've got a good one for you. I'm already going to call it. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have any of that weak stuff here on the podcast, and this one's definitely not going to be that. I am joined by Mark Anthony K. If you uh, are familiar with uh, the vinyl community, air quotes on YouTube, I'm sure you've seen him around the community uh, on Patrick PB Thal stream, the Rachel's Go Show. You're all over the place, all over the place. Plus, there's a lot more to you than that, and we'll kind of get into it. So, Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? I'm really Rosie, happy to be here, Chance. I'm glad to uh, be on your show. Awesome. I'm glad you can, you can make it. You actually, for those scoring closely at home, Mark was kind enough to join us not too long ago for our second edition of the KISS Roundtable. He was highly suggested by uh, my mutual friend Vance over in Chicago, yeah. EK, and uh, I was glad we could make that connected because I had seen him on different, uh, you know, again, programs. We'll kind of get into that stuff, but didn't know that he was the KISS FAQ podcast, like KISS, KISS, KISS. So it was great to have him on there as I was learning and still learning about Kiss the Band. So anyway, well, let's just dive in right there. So like I said, in the open here, I've seen you in different areas in the vinyl community, again, air quotes. Um, how did you find, because you're a musician, you've got a lot going on, we're going to get into that. But how did you find the vinyl community on YouTube and, and, and just jump right in there? Uh, actually, it's kind of interesting because I, I got into you know, going going on the internet and doing stuff like that when I discovered these KISS podcasts. Because I was I was a fan and a watcher of the KISS FAQ podcast from the very beginning, I think episode two. I was already mm -hmm. kind of watching it and, you know, became a longtime watcher. And then they kept saying, you know, why don't you come on up? You know, because they started wanting other people to come on up at that time because they didn't have a regular crew of people on there, right? So I went up there and I've been on there since episode 33. And tomorrow, ironically enough, we're having our live 500th episode of the KISS FAQ podcast celebration. So nice. I've been on there for quite a while now. And it's been, you know, a very fun and enjoyable thing. Now, what ended up happening is when I started watching these kind of different uh, podcasts afterwards, I started looking around to see if there's other KISS ones. And then I started getting into collecting vinyl because of the KISS connection. Because, as you know, the KISS community is all about collecting vinyl, like, you know, bootlegs, all kinds of stuff. Sure. Vinyl, there's so many variations. I went down that rabbit hole. Like, I have, like, 11 variations of KISS Unmasked, the album. I have, like, 15 variations of, like, Rock and Roll Over. It's insane how much I got into that. But I started finding other channels of interest. For example, Patrick had a channel long before he turned into the, the vinyl archivist, where he was known uh, as, a, I think it was something like Patrick's Neighborhood or something like that. He had like an interesting different title for his channel. And he did a roundtable shootout on Close to the Edge on that album, like different variations mm -hmm. of it. And that's where I started... Uh, getting into the whole vinyl community thing. And I think Patrick was one of the first people I actually connected with. And then shortly after that, I discovered Rachel's channel. Uh, she, she was doing her live streams and you know how it is. Once you, once you, once you go on Rachel's channel once or twice, then you're hooked forever. Right. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so while, while talking about record collecting, so had you collected vinyl before this, this kind of uh, gateway into the kiss uh, bootlegs and all the variants and all that kind of stuff. Tell us about that. Well, but back when, when I was uh, in one of my earliest bands, I, I had 
a pretty you know decent vinyl collection because my sister my older sister she was right into collecting vinyl and she's a big person as far as you know my influence or influencing me for music and stuff like she she introduced me to some of my earliest bands that i got into like rush and kiss and you know all those kinds of bands from the 70s and i uh you know when when i started collecting this stuff but at that point i wasn't so hardcore into it i was just collecting it because i liked the music and i was listening to it sure. and then uh as, as one of my bands that i was in started getting more popular uh we we got a uh, we got connected with this guy who was a journalist at the time. His name was Adrian Bromley. He's passed away, unfortunately, but he was a writer for these big magazines in Toronto, like Unrestrained and Brave Words, Bloody Knuckles, and all these magazines that were popular around Toronto area. And uh, he helped us get our first record deal. And when he did that, we, we, I decided that as a thank you to him, I would I would give him some of my vinyl albums because he was a vinyl collector. Like he was hardcore already then, like this is the nineties. Okay? okay. And so, uh, I don't really regret doing it, but I did give him quite a lot of my records at that point. And now looking back at, it, I wish I didn't give him some of the ones that I gave him because I had a pretty good collection. <laughs> gave stuff. Some good I like, stuff is what you're saying. Yeah. I gave him like first pressings of like, you know, justice for all and all these other oh, albums no. I had. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, no. And so, We're going to have, we're gonna have to take a station break or something. I don't know if I can recover from that. <laughs> you know, so I, I I gave him a lot of stuff that that you know was pretty good stuff to have now. But you know, at that point, I, I didn't think twice about it because at that point, I was really gunning to get a record deal in my band, and we wanted to go out and start touring and playing, and it did help, right, to get that. And he was a big part of that. So uh, now, fast forward years later. You know, I I got the bug again to collecting vinyl, but that was the origins was way back then in the '90s, actually, when vinyl was pretty much a dead issue. Mm -hmm. Nice, cool. So you kind of hit on a little bit there about being a musician. And I probably did a terrible job of kind of uh, bearing the lead there, but <laughs> um, but the real reason and one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is, uh, and again, seeing you in different places, I had heard the name Project Gemini. I'd heard you're a musician, but I hadn't really put two to two together, right? Hmm. Um, I think, matter of fact, I think for your last release, I think it was What Lies Beyond in the Spring, I mm -hmm. think I was even watching Rachel's one morning, and it was AGK or somebody was with you. Tell me if I've got this wrong. And there, there was an oh, unboxing or something. Maybe maybe it was just AGK unboxing, and maybe he got it, and he was so excited. Somebody was unboxing the record, and then I was like, okay, so Mark, who I've seen on the Patrick live streams, is part of Project Gemini, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so you talked about, let's let's just kind of jump into your musical background as a musician because, and, and we'll get into the Project Gemini stuff. There's a lot there, a lot of output and, and a lot of creative stuff. What made you want to pick up an instrument or, or become a musician? Like walk us through that kind of walk as, as you're a young, young fellow there in Ontario. I believe you're from Ontario, is yes. that right? Yes, yeah. So you're a young guy in Ontario got some records you like i mean there's a lot going on and you just pick up that first instrument tell us about it so the funny thing was how i discovered the guitar is actually completely by accident because my sister my older sister again jane uh she she got a guitar when she was younger and she took about two or three lessons and it wasn't for her and they put the guitar away and buried it underneath the stairs of our house there and it was collecting dust oh. i was playing i was playing soccer for a long time at this point and my father was my coach at that time and he told me to go down to the basement to get something i think it was like a bag of like extra soccer balls for our practice i went down there and while i was looking for the stuff i stumbled across this case 
underneath the steps. I was like, oh, what the hell is this? I opened it and it was a Les Paul copy. Like, a, and, and one of those really good ones, like those Japanese made ones that they got sued over that were so almost exact, wow. right? And I was like, hey, there's a guitar here. And right away it kind of cl cl like clicked to me because, you know, I like, you know, Kiss with Ace Freely. And Alex Lifeson played a Les Paul too. So I was like, hey, and I pulled it out. And when I came back from the practice, I started looking at it and there was an old 1969 style, you know, instructional book in there, like how to, you know, this is the E string, this is the F note, and, you know. So I started going through there and I picked up the guitar and I started self-teaching myself. And I got the bug and it got to the point where I was sitting in my room for like seven and a half hours a day, every day learning, playing guitar. And I just dove into it and I just loved it. And then by the time I was 16, I formed my first band with some of my high school buddies, you know, and we, we actually took it really seriously. You know, we were 60. What did we know? But we, we, we were already dreaming about big things at that point. And there was a little recording studio here in Brampton where I lived just outside of Toronto and that, that did like 16 track recording at that time. So we wrote a couple of songs and we went in there and we recorded. So we already had like a little demo tape at 16 years old at that time. It, 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 it's nothing to write home about. Believe me, it's pretty terrible. But, you know, but it was it was a first step, right? Right, of and, course. Yeah. So we uh, we ended up working on that. And then, you know, it, it, from there, it just grew. Like I, I started another band later on. You know, I was, you know, we, we at that point, we were mainly, you know, just playing in local areas around here. And then as I got more and more serious with it, I ended up joining uh, well, forming another band uh, at that time called Reckon With One. And that was the band I got that record deal with. And uh, we we toured Canada like two or three times. And we played all over the place. We did lots of festivals. We played with all kinds of bands, like, you know, Strapping Young Lad and Nevermore and all kinds of bands from America, like these heavy thrash bands and stuff like that. And it was great. Over Overkill and uh, Sonata mm -hmm. Arctic, uh, all kinds of bands we played with. And it, it went really good. And then, you know, we were together for about nine years. And then the the singer guy, the bass player singer, he decided he wanted to become a police officer. So then the band ended up splitting up, right? And then after that happened, uh, something really big happened for me is I ended up joining this band called The Exalted Pile Driver. Now, I'm not sure how much you know about 80s metal, but there was a band in the 80s called Pile Driver. Yes, I've right? heard the name. Yeah, and that was that was him, Gord, and he. Oh, he, okay. He was the one who uh, was. So technically, here's a little just quick backstory about that band. That band was not really a band. It was just Gord and another guy, a guitar player, and they. It was like a fake band, but they released an album through uh, Cobra and uh, other some other labels in the United States, and it got big. The at last count, the the rumor is because there's a big problem with. Uh, him getting royalties from these labels but the last count was that that album suspectedly sold almost half a million copy copies okay. of that album you shabby yeah yeah and he did another record as well after it called uh, stay uh, stay ugly not stay hungry stay ugly and uh it's uh and that did pretty good as well uh, i need to cross that off my my autobiography names because i don't want to get sued i had stay ugly as probably my leading contender for my <laughs> autobiography so i'm going to cross that off the list right now <laughs> No, sorry, I didn't mean to. But. <laughs> That's okay. But you know, and then that band never toured. It was just uh, an, an entity that went to the studio and re released records. Now, in, two, in the two thousands, he decided to actually form a proper band and go out and tour because when the internet started happening, he realized that there was a huge underground following for Piledriver at that time. Right. Sure. Uh -huh. So he he got a band together. They started playing a bit. 
and then you know some of the people didn't work out and then one day i got an email from their management saying you know would you like to come and try out for the rhythm guitar player position at that time and i was like okay because i don't know how they found out that my band had split at that time but they the manager obviously did his due diligence and found out and then he contacted me right away and I contacted Gord and we had a like two hour conversation on the phone about Frank Zappa and all these other kind of music things. And he, we connected immediately. So I went over there, grabbed some stuff from him to learn like some demos. And long story short, I got in the band and not only did I get into the band, but the drummer from my band that I had just split up with, I got him in as well because he didn't like the drummer that he had at the time as well then. So it was a two for one kind of deal there. And so this is like Buckingham next all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally <laughs> like that. <laughs> and what ended up happening too, was that it originally was two guitar players. So it was me and another guy, but the other guitar player didn't end up working. So it ended up just being a four piece with me doing all the guitar stuff. And it was honestly one of the best times of my life because we did a big record. We went to Metalworks Studios here in Toronto and recorded a full record. Uh, and we played all over the United States, all over Canada. And we did a night, great tour of Europe. We went to Greece and Germany and wow. all kinds of stuff. And it, it was it was incredible to do it because, you know, we met a lot of people, a lot of like, you know, you know, the type 40s, 40 year old leather jackets with the patches on the back and stuff like that. But these guys, when they came to the shows, I, I remember like yesterday, I think it was a couple of Polish guys who came to one of our shows in Germany. He came up to us and goes, are you guys in Piledriver? Because we wore masks, so they didn't know who we were exactly. Oh, okay. Right? We had masks on and all these really de decrepit kind of decayed t-shirts. We were supposed to look like zombies, and he was like our zombie cult guy, right? And he... When they when they found out that we were in pile driver, I saw grown men, forty five year old men, crying because they said ah, they never ah, they never thought that they would see pile driver in their lifetime, and they brought their records and they had to sign it and they were like they were shaky like holding these records like could you please wow. sign it like I didn't realize how big this band was in Europe right so it was I took it pretty seriously that that we made sure we all our shows are well performed and stuff like that because some of these people would, like told me that they were waiting their whole life to see this band. You know, so that's wow. kind of big so responsibility. Big deal, yeah. Sure. yeah, for sure. For sure. So after so that happened, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so how long were you in that band and, and, and where else did that go? Uh, I, I was in that band for about five, six years. Um, after that, near the end of that, uh, Gord started having a little bit of health problems at that time. And he, it, it wasn't feasible to continue in that way because we were supposed to do another tour of Europe at that point, but we didn't feel comfortable doing it because he was having, you know, I don't know if it was anxiety issues or something like that, but when we would go on stage, he would sometimes like completely freeze up and he would like puke on stage and he would, he would almost black out. Right. So wow. it was something that we weren't, didn't feel comfortable with. And our bass player at the times even said, he goes, Gord, I, I'm scared that if we were to go overseas now like this, that we would bring you back in a cardboard box, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that we didn't want to do that. Right. Sure. So, so the band ended up ending up splitting for a while, and then he got a couple other people, and he continued later on, and that was great. I was happy that he continued later on. But from that point on, I started thinking about reforming my old band. Uh, long story short, I started working with a couple of people, but then I broke my leg, like a bad break. I had a, I broke my femur bone, which I'm not sure if you know enough about uh, the human body, but the femur bone is the is the strongest and hardest bone in the body to break. Right. Yeah, yeah. And if and if it breaks, then it's pain, like like real pain. <laughs> well, how and, did you do this? How did you break your leg? 
apparently what ended up happening and we kind of had to do some investigative work on this because i had pain in my leg for about a week or two before it happened but the doctors when they checked the x-ray said it looked like i had a hairline fracture in the femur for a long time like almost half a year so i must have the last thing I think, last thing I thought of was I remember I went up on a stage and I jumped off the edge of it and jumped onto the ground for a second. And when I landed awkward, I felt like a little pain in my leg, but I never thought anything of it. And that must have been when the hairline happened, right? Mm, and I mm. never got it checked out. And then one day I just took an awkward step out the front door and it, I heard it snap. It literally sounded like oh, a branch when it no snapped, oh, right? Mark. And when the ambulance guys came, it was unbelievable because they, they came to me after when I was sedated in the room and they said, they just wanted to see if I was okay. And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And he goes, dude, he goes, are you in a band? And I go, yeah, I'm a guitar player. He goes, you should seriously think about doing vocals because I've, you had one of the loudest voices I've ever heard when you were screaming in the, in the, in the, in the ambulance. So that goes to show you how uh, painful that episode was. But sure. that that situation ended up spawning the start of Project Gemini. Because when I was in the hospital bed there thinking what I was going to do, I completely split my other band that I had started at the time. And I just wanted to just start from scratch over again. I didn't want to get, I wanted to do something by myself because I was kind of getting fed up with working with other people when, you know, you work with them and you ask for them to work on lyrics or you ask for them to work on something and it's always some delay or some problem. And, and you know, and it was always, you know, it took forever to do stuff sometimes with people. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to just do it all myself and see how it goes. And I ended up doing pretty good. I, I, I ended up writing quite a few albums uh, this is while you're own. in the hospital. You're, you're writing. You're writing music while you're in the hospital. I, I was. I was. I was outlining it at that point. You know, and I was kind of figuring and, out. Like, were you still heavily sedated? Because I want to understand the influence <laughs> of any kind of mind all <laughs> I, I well, well, I thought about it like right from those early times. Like I thought to myself, that whole concept of what happened was the basis of two of my records, an ordinary day and a brand new day, because an ordinary day tells about, you know, me that day when I broke my leg and what, what happened. And then the next album, a brand new day kind of looks at me being in hospital and getting, you know, uh, like rehabbing to get out of the hospital. And, and, you know, the end of the, the album was, you know, I finally out and starting my life all over again, because it took me, I was in hospital for almost three and a half months that's how bad it was like i couldn't walk for the first while like i was bedridden because i couldn't even get up and stand it was such a bad break right so i had to learn to rewalk again and it was it was, it was terrible but that led to, to the project gemini thing and as you know i've been you know writing non-stop pretty much since i started doing that well and those two albums they came out if i'm not mistaken in the same year right like yeah. so ordinary day was your first studio album and we'll get a little bit into project Gemini stuff deeper here in a second and then a brand new day was at the end of the year in October. Yeah, right? yeah, nice, nice. So, so talking about Project Gemini, for folks who don't know, one highly recommend as as your as your humble uh, host here did. Bandcamp is where it's at because if you, if you want if you want a deep dive on the band, Bandcamp is where it's at. But we'll get into that too. But tell us about how would you describe it for somebody who's new or just hearing about it, like me, just talking to me here, Mark. Yeah, your kind of influences because I, I guess the easy way to say is it's probably heavily influenced by progressive rock. Is that safe to say? Yeah, yeah. So what definitely. kind of band? So I'm thinking like yes, or I'm thinking like Dream Theater, or I'm thinking Course Rush, right? I mean that goes without saying. But 
um, I don't know, King Crimson, like what were the influences that kind of shaped the direction of Project Gemini? Uh, it, it's funny. You almost, you almost hit on all the ones that I always refer to when I talk about <laughs> yeah, Project Gemini, yeah. because I, I always tell people that when I try to describe what Project Gemini is, it's like, yes, meets Rush, meets Dream Theater in a dark alley and then gets beat up by Pantera. That's kind oh, of uh, I almost had it. I just yeah. saw the word the Pantera too. That's my bad. I should have got that. Yeah. So I mean the Pantera kind of comes in with the double kick stuff and some of the heavier it's elements. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so but I mean you're you're definitely very, very close to all the influences that are in there. So yeah, good ear, my friend. Good ear. Excellent, excellent. No, yeah, I was listening again. Do a little homework on the show, and it's hard to believe, but I do a little homework because <laughs> I want to understand the guests and understand what we're gonna talk about. Um, but so we talked about the origins. Uh, you start the band. Was the idea to just make music and see where it goes, or did you have like a like a plan, like a I wouldn't say a business plan, but at least a roadmap of what you wanted to do? You wanted to make the music, you wanted to tour on it. Tell us about those early days. Um, at that point, I, I wanted to just write music and record it and put it out. Um, as as we hinted on before, I was you know big on collecting vinyl at the time. I was also still and still am a very big supporter of the CD medium. I think CDs are very underlooked and underappreciated right now, and I think that they're going to make a comeback. You wait, you wait. They're going to make a big. I right, heard it here. You heard it here. Yeah. Hey, they're still at thrift stores, relatively cheap. Now's the time to buy up. Yeah, now's the time because you watch. Because, but I'm telling you, when I started doing this, my biggest goal was I wanted to make a record by myself put it out on cd and on vinyl that was my main goal and that that was the thing that i have done for every release that i've done so far like a full length release right and uh i've always thought about going back and playing live again because i had played live non-stop since i was like 17 years old so I, i've been doing it for so long that i i was okay with kind of having a little bit of a break from it for a little while sure. but you know I always kind of tell people whenever I do uh, or have a chance to do interviews like this, that 2024 might be the year that I might decide to actually do it because now I have quite a few people that, you know, I've become friends with over the internet and stuff like that. And a lot of people who are, you know, really competent musicians and people that I, you know, would trust in that situation, like Joe Bailey, he's a great bass player and vocalist and he sang on my records and he played bass on them. So he would be ideal for to be a bass player and, a, and a, one of the singers, including myself, right? Mm -hmm. uh, also David Donnelly, who's sure. a fantastic musician who can play drums and can play guitar. I would, I would, I would probably pick him as a, as a second guitar with me right like a rhythm guitar and have him play and i know he would do it in a heartbeat he's told me that several times already it would just be a matter of scoping out maybe a drummer and i have a few people in mind and of course i'd probably need one maybe two keyboard players because we have a lot of keyboards in our stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh but you know it, it's possible and and the thing is one of the places that uh, Project Gemini seems to do very well as far as getting play on, you know, radio or internet radio or even legitimate radio, believe it or not, is in the UK, right? So, uh, and luckily, David and Joe both are in the UK. So, if anything, okay. I would probably decide if I was to start playing again, I would probably work out a little plan where I would go over to, to the UK for a month or so, you know, practice with those guys for a week or so, and then go out and play some gigs for like two, three weeks with them in the UK, right? And I think that is very, very plausible and very possible to do so. But, you know, lots of things have to also happen in between then as well. So 
but you heard it here. It may happen. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's like like the, like, uh, the minimalists. I read a lot of their books and they talk about it's either day one or one day you decide. So you heard it here first. <laughs> you have mark. It's going to be either one day or day one. Um, so we had kind of talked about this before we got started. But as I was kind of traversing the, the Project Gemini output up to seven studio albums now, the latest was What Lies Beyond in April, correct? Yes. And so in that journey, clearly, well, a couple things became very clear to this outsider. And one thing I want to ask you about is where does the creativity come from? Because the output is consistent. Sometimes it's two albums a year, some EPs, all this kind of stuff. But where do you really hone in on the creativity? Because you talked about, I think it's probably our, our little pregame huddle, um, being passionate about it. Is that where it is? It's just, it's a natural, it's a natural byproduct of just picking up the guitar and just kind of noodling and, and going from there. Like, how would you, where does the creativity strike you? Um, it, it it's a, it's a lot of things, but mainly what it is, is that, you know, I, I love playing guitar. That's one of the main things that I just love picking up the guitar, plugging in and just playing. But, but the other thing that's very important as well, and this might sound sort of like, duh, with saying this, but you would believe, you wouldn't believe how uh, people don't think about this is that, I love listening to lots of music. Well, I have a channel that I frequent on YouTube called, it's called Progline, P-R-O-G-L-I-N-E. And this guy finds obscure prog rock and you know progressive metal albums that maybe only did like 100 copies or maybe only had one release and then disappeared off the face of the earth. And he finds these records and uploads them like you know gets like gets the vinyl and records them and puts them online sure. and I, i've met i've found so many bands on here that that were like i never heard of and when i when i refer to them to other people they're like i've never heard of that band before and i just listening to some of these records were just fascinating like just so many great prog rock bands that never you know got the spotlight on them but listening to some of this music instantly sometimes sparks an idea to me when i listen to some of their music i'm like wow that, that's such, such a great album that's such a great song and i'll go and sit down and all of a sudden i'll start playing and songs will come to me now it, it's it's not the same music that they were playing because i i, I tend to have a make sure i tend to make sure i don't want to like you know listen to a record and then copy, copy. their ideas. You know what I mean? Like that, that's obviously something you don't want to do. Right. This isn't but, like American Idol where you're taking something and making it your own. It's, it's, it's no. more of an inspirational point, like a launching yeah. point. Like you hear something, maybe it starts as that. And then it, it, the embers become a fire and become what you ultimately make. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the, the thing is back in the day, uh, when I was in some of my other bands, we, you know, we had a tendency of writing like, you know, four or five minute songs, but because I got into like progressive rock so deeply, I find that I have a tendency now of writing like eight minute songs more often, nine minute songs, 10 minutes. I mean, I even had like a 14 minute song before on one of my records. And I think on my latest one here, yeah, I have one that's 14 minutes and 45 seconds and one that's 11 minutes and 37 seconds. That's the latest one here, What Lies Beyond, right? Yep. And if you look in the back there, there's there's some pretty lengthy songs on there. Yeah, there's, only, there's only five tracks, but they're pretty yeah. substantial length, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I love that era. I always told my mom, I go, it's too bad that I wasn't born like 10 years before that I was because I, you know, doing music in the seventies would, would have been like ideal, you know, because that's the kind of music that I enjoy that kind of seventies progressive rock stuff. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, I, I don't know. I, just for me, the, ins the, inf the inspiration comes musically from listening to lots of different music, uh, you know, and because it gets all logged up in here, right? And you just, you know, there's certain things that I like about certain kinds of music, you know, like some of the, the some of the interplay between keyboards and guitar, between drums and bass, you know, some of the interplay between it, and I, and that that kind of rubs off on some of the writing as well, right? And lyrically, my influences have always been uh what happens in the world what hap what surrounds me is what influences me i find you know uh, as far as lyric writing goes i mean neil peart has always been a huge influence on me same with peter gabriel and people like that where they did you know they don't know they don't just write about you know screwing girls and partying all night you know they, they write about stuff that's actually you know you know it doesn't have to be deep and heavy and always you know you know cry me a river kind of stuff but it's I like to write stuff that, you know, has some sort of message to it. Makes sense. Um, are you the type, like I I'd read or I'd heard that like Kurt Hammack from Metallica for a long time was with the advent of the iPhone is he, he had to have like a creative moment, a lick or, or, or a riff or something and he'd record it. And well, two parter, do you do something similar? And the second part of that is because he ultimately lost his phone and was all the hell because he had all this music, all this creativity things that he had, he, you know, again, creativity strikes at very inopportune times sometimes. And he had all this music and he then lost it. So do you employ a similar method? And if you do, you got to back up. That's good. <laughs> um, for the first couple of records, ironically enough. Yeah, I did on my other Android phone that I have, they have like a little, you know, sound recorder thing. Right. And I just, uh, many times I I turned it on and have just grab my acoustic guitar when an idea came to me, and I would just play the little part on there and record it thirty seconds or whatever, and I would go back to it and listen to it. And a lot of the times it developed into songs. Um, usually now what I end up doing instead of doing that is because I have my little recording studio right here where this is where I've done all my records now, right. and I have a really convenient setup now where if I an idea comes to me now. It's just a matter of me grabbing one cord, plugging in here, turning on my Pro Tools, and I'm ready to record. And I can and I use that as sort of my way to record ideas. I just go on there and I might have just like one open file where it's just nothing but ideas, like 30 seconds here, 20 seconds here, 10 seconds here. And I'm, it might even be a bass part. It may even be a keyboard part, you know, mm -hmm. or something, just anything that or an idea strikes me like the last record uh that i've just, that i was just working on because i have another two or three project gemini albums done already fully oh, recorded and mixed okay, that that'll okay. be that'll be coming out next year that are already done but a lot of them started with piano like i, I an idea came to me on piano i would play it record it leave it you know come back the next day listen to it add to it and lo and behold, in a day or two, I have enough parts for a fully constructed song. And so it, I just, I don't kind of limit myself with just saying, okay, the ideas have to come from a guitar. It can come from anything, it can come from keyboards, bass, guitar. And even it's happened once where I had drum part ideas and I would construct a part, just put it on the computer real quick and come back to it. And that drum part will instantly give me an idea for a guitar part to go with it. So the influence, the, 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 uh, the inspiration for this comes from many different places.
is it easier to ask what instruments you don't play versus instruments you do play? Because again, when I was going through the Bandcamp stuff, I saw a lot, like a lot of it was, it was your name in a lot of places, right? And obviously, you'd mentioned like Joe Bailey and David Allen. So there are other people helping you contribute, but it sounds like a one man shop in a lot of regards. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that I need to make a record, I can do. The the, the drums, uh, the drum part of it, I do through a program called uh, Easy Drummer 2. And what, what, the, what the great thing about that is, and, and I, I've explained this a few times on Patrick's live stream because he was he's fascinated by this because he always said that when he listens to the drums, he's like, I would never believe that this is a programmed drum thing. And it's not really a programmed drum thing. What it is, is it's a program uh, done by this company called TuneTrack and they go to like these world professional big studios. They hire these world-renowned drummers like John Tempesta and all these guys like from you know Testament or from you know a Lamb of God or whoever. They'll get their drum sets in, record their actual drum kits, okay? And you get the program where where you have their actual drum kit, okay? And they go in and they play drum parts and they record them. So what it basically is, is that he'll, they'll do like 17 or let's say 20 different variations of a verse part. And then they'll do 50 or 60 variations of a drum fill, different mm -hmm. kinds of drum fills, and then different you know chorus parts and different pre-chorus parts. And what you do is you take this part, you listen to your, you know, you'll play something and you'll say, okay, let me try this drum part. Will it fit with my guitar part? Okay, it works good. I'm going to use it. Now you find a drum fill, you edit it, put it in. It's it's a long process. It's not something that can be done in five minutes. But if you take your time, listen to what you're doing, and uh, like, and cut all those pieces in properly, it, it it's it's it sounds so good. People, I'm like I said, lots of people don't even know that it's not an actual drummer. No, listen, as somebody who, who was deep diving as, as late as this morning on, on some of this stuff, I wouldn't have known. I would have thought some of it was studio work, to be honest with you, because it's it finishes that clean. So I would have had no idea that this is literally like like I'm picturing like the Matrix. You're putting all these pieces together. But it's it's kind of like that. Right. And technology yeah. really helped kind of be able to shorten that that creative divide of, you know, having weight on a drummer and, and so forth. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing that what people find interesting about that is that because it's a real drummer playing it, you know, the the difference between that and what people do by themselves, like when they program their own drums, it's very stiff. It's really like do 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 when people program it. But this these guys, because they're real drummers, they have like more finesse to it. They do a lot of ghost notes and they do all these little things that drummers do that people who are not drummers would never think of doing, right? The way they play on their hi-hat or the, the way they play on their ride cymbals. And because you have those kind of patterns available to you, you put them on and that makes the drumming sound so realistic, right? Nice. When when you're, you were talking about earlier, you've, you know, you'll start a song, you'll finish a song, and you've got, is it a matter of, how, how do you kind of form what songs go where for an album, right? Like you were talking about your first two albums kind of went together. Yeah. Uh, some of your later albums, you had the in the year 3073 book one, two and three. Right. So, yeah. so you have a lot of like long-term planning. Go, so there you go. Um, so, so there's a degree of kind of structure and how you want to lay these out. Is it as simple? Am I, am I being too simple about it? Like you'll have a song and then you're literally just trying to structure what album or what like whatever theme that album is going to be this is a good place for that song or do or, or is it sometimes there's 
something that hits you and you want to create a song for that theme? How does it work? Okay, so let me give you a good example. So I have this album here, which is the third record I made, which is Man of Science, Man of Dreams. Right. Okay. Uh, This album was just basically songs that I just wrote. Like I was just writing songs, uh, an idea came, I wrote them. And the, the connective tissue on this album is that they're all pretty much songs based around science. And when I refer to Man of Science, Man of Dreams, I refer to my dad, my late father. He was a scientist guy. He was always working in the basement with magnetics and all kinds of experimentations and stuff. So he was very much an influence on the topical matter of this album. All right, so the, the musically, they, they just came to me. There wasn't, I had no plan specifically for the music. But once it came to writing the lyrics, that's where they all kind of con- interconnected because I, I wrote them all around the idea of my dad and his kind of scientific work and just science in general. You know what I mean? Like how science can affect, you know, people's lives and stuff like that. Now, when we get to in the year 3073, as you can see, this is book one, right? Mm-hmm. This I went in with a grandiose idea from the very beginning because I knew I wanted to write a concept record and okay. this is a three-part one. This is book one, there's book two and book three, right? Mm. Uh, book two I actually have here, ironically, on vinyl form here. There you right? go. All right. Yep. So, uh, and this is a full-fledged story. Basically, the story in a nutshell is uh, people end up leaving the planet and let's say, tw- I think it was t- 30... 3050 or something like that they end up leaving the planet because you know atmosphere decaying and stuff like that and they leave a group of people leave like highly you know highly touted people scientists and scholars and stuff like that they leave and go to repopulate another plant they go to look for one a mm-hmm. hundred years later their and their 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 offspring later on decide to want to come back and see what happened to planet earth they return to planet earth and realize that Planet Earth didn't, in fact, go to hell in a handbasket. In fact, it turned into a paradise on Earth. <laughs> so so they're like, what the hell happened when we left, you know? So yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. whole story of it. Now, I mean, my my whole inspiration to this, and I don't know if you if how much you uh you follow prog rock concept albums, but uh, every progressive rock band or metal band in the last 10 years always has the same concept. Earth is going to blow up. Earth is going to... It's always some dystopian thing. And it's always how man must recreate Earth. So I said, you know what? I'm so sick of that story. I go, why don't I just do one that's totally opposite? People leave and they come back and realize that nothing bad happened to it. That everything went good. And we were like, what the hell? Why did we leave? Everything is so perfect. Like Even the pictures I got my guy James McCarthy to do. Like You see, like water falls and all these beautiful happening they're like what the hell happened we left and now it looks it's better than right. it was when it's we were nirvana. here it you became know? nirvana when we got these pesky assholes yeah. off the planet <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you know and if you follow the story then you'll see what happens like within it because it goes over three books so three albums right and and you know it's a little bit more it gets into a little bit more detail than what i just said but you know it, it's basically that's the story right Right on. Well, you, you kind of you helping me out here because one thing I wanted to talk to you about is the art because all the art I'm assuming was done by you said James McCarthy, right? Is yes. that pretty? Because it all the art on all the studio on all the studio albums that I saw the the, the full length the LPs look to be the same. So I jumped in collusions here. So how did you get how did you get connected with James and and, and it, it must be a good relationship because you went back to him here seven times, right, or more. 
yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, the, the story of James McCarthy is actually really uh, interesting, fascinating. I know when I've said it once before that people always find it very interesting. James McCarthy is a painter. He lives in Florida, Tampa Bay area, I believe it is. Yeah, I would have guessed and said this is another one of them Canadian boys. And you're no, just, no. You're, you're, keep, you're keeping it all north of the border. You're, you're, you're keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's a Floridian. Okay. Right. And uh, he's he's been doing it for a very, very long time. Now, when I started working on Project Gemini stuff, and this was still in hospital days, I went online and I was looking at this site called Deviant Art. I'm sure you must have heard of it, they, they, where they people put up their artwork. For, it's like a it's like a it's like a Facebook for artists. Basically, sure. they, they show up all kinds of paintings and stuff. And I was going through some you know stuff like that because i was trying to find somebody to do my artwork because that's one thing i'm not good at okay i, I can't draw and all that stuff right so i saw one of his pictures on there and i contacted him through email and said hi my name is mark i uh, check out some of your paintings they're fascinating would you be interested in doing some you know artwork for an album cover and when he wrote me back i was i was in shock because he goes Hi, Mark. Uh, yeah, I would be interested. Truth be told, I've never done an album cover in my life. And I was like, get out. I'm seriously, I, I go, your artwork is so perfect for album covers. I don't know how you could not have done it up Perfect. to now. And he goes, well, I've done one poster for a music festival before, but that's it, right? So I said, you know what? I would love for you to do it. And he goes, do you have any ideas of what you want? And I go, sort of but i'd rather that you just do it yourself every single album cover that uh, he's done for me whether it's this one mm -hmm. whether it's this one or this one here okay and i'll show this one again one more time because i i, I think it deserves to be shown again this um, one uh, here right right right, right. Book uh-huh he has done it all and and, and all the only thing he's ever been told is what the title of the album is i've given him zero input wow. on it and every single time he's come back with a, a piece of art i was always like that's perfect it, it's something that i can't explain that he seems to know just by what i'm what i tell him as far as what my you know lyric ideas are because i do talk to him about that like you know this is going to be about this sure, you got to give him a couple cookies yeah yeah course, yeah like, it, and i never tell him what to draw i just tell him this and this is what i'm thinking about lyrically in the music and stuff like that and once he gets those kind of tidbits in his head then i think the, the ideas come quicker to him too like when i told him that i wrote this album about you know based around my father and stuff like that lo and behold yeah, he put a character there and the funny thing is it's not it doesn't look exactly like my father but there are elements of him that remind me of my father so with, without even knowing what my father looked like he was pretty close you know on that so it, it he is, is a fantastic guy fantastic painter and uh, one thing that i will pat myself a little bit on the back is that after he did a couple of my album covers he has gotten contacted by many record labels now, Cleopatra awesome. Records, and he's done uh, album covers for many tribute records, like the tribute to Pink Floyd, the tribute to Rick Wakeman. He's done all awesome. the album covers for him, and I'm very happy for him that he's been able to do it because of that. You know, really cool, really cool. Um, you know, I had said it earlier, and, you, and and we talked a little bit about it, but kind of being the central creative figure behind a lot of the albums, obviously the project, Project Gemini, right? Um, outside of the art, which we just talked about, James kind of got your, your, your album art kind of on lock. Um, the label, 
Reficle Records. Yes. So I'm Correct. assuming like that it, it, that's that's your label, right? Is that safe yes. to say? Okay. So it's your label, your music. Yeah, people are helping here and there. I mean, it's it's not like 100%, right? But right when I talked about it in the open about Bandcamp and how important it is like how important is is a vehicle like Bandcamp for an independent artist like you to get your music out there because you know you can source and have like the physical stuff done, but in terms of reaching a larger audience like. Is is Bandcamp good for it? Bad for it? Could be better. Tell me, tell me about your Bandcamp experience. Bandcamp has been absolutely fantastic. I think it's been very much a source of importance for my projects. Um, I, I have gotten so many people involved in my music, uh, like in terms of becoming, you know, supporting supporters. I, I hate calling people fans. It just for some reason bugs me. I always call them supporters. Uh, so I got a lot of supporters through it, and and the thing is, a lot of people do the same thing that I do. I find is that I go on Bandcamp, I'll just go down to the bottom and I'll go rock, prog rock, new releases, boom, and they'll show me like seven pages of stuff that's come out, and I'll I'll check like at least sometimes five or six bands I've never heard of in my life before on there and listen to some of their music, and many many times I have bought CDs vinyl of bands that I've never heard of like before that day and then become fans of their music because that's what I love about Bandcamp. People go on there, you can upload their, they upload their music. You can hear it. You can sample it, you know, full Mm -hmm. songs. They're not giving like 10 seconds. It's like full music. Right. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. then if you like it, then you have an option. sometimes to buy, you know, CDs, cassettes, vinyl, People are selling T-shirts, all kinds of stuff. Like I sold my test pressings on there. I've sold posters on there as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had people from as far as Australia up to Alaska and that have bought my stuff. And it, it's very important, I, I find, because you know a lot of people who, who get in, get hooked into the Bandcamp thing, th- that's, that's their enjoyment is to go and look for stuff. I mean, yeah, so many sure. people that have joined mm-hmm. my... Uh, like who have added me as an artist onto their list. I go and check their list sometimes. And these people have like, you know, I, they've bought like 109 albums through Bandcamp or a thousand things they've gotten off of Bandcamp. Like, so these mm-hmm. people are serious about music, you know? Sure, sure. That's awesome. Um, rounding third to borrow, to borrow the baseball expression. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a couple other things. One, um, you're talking about potentially 2024 touring. You heard it here first. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's, that's a good little nugget for it. I appreciate you. Um, what other, talking about the label, what other projects, because it's not just Project Gemini. We, when we were talking about doing this, yeah, there was some other stuff in the hopper. Tell me about uh, some of the other artists on the label and maybe some future projects coming up. <clears throat> well, December 1st, uh, Joe Bailey, who, who's, who appeared on a couple of my records, uh, he's been a, he's a, he's a, he's like a UK version of me. He does everything himself, all nice. the music, all the singing, everything, uh, and he gets his good friend Steve Holland to do his artwork. So he gets an outside person as well to do his artwork, and he has about eight or nine solo albums, like under his name Joe Bailey, out on Bandcamp. And about the seventh album in, I heard him on this show called Check It Out Fridays. It's, it's a it's a music prog prog music show from England, and uh, they play a lot of. Prog rock stuff, prog metal stuff, uh, unknown stuff, known stuff as well. And 
they were they were focusing and featuring on one of his albums and i was in the in the gallery there the you know the peanut gallery and i he was there as well and i said you know i love your record and we kind of met online and we exchanged you know song ideas and he sang on my album i did a guitar solo on one of his things and i just love this stuff so i ended up signing him to my record label and one of the first things that he ever did was an album called ghosts for for okay. me okay that's that's the first thing that he actually did there as you can see there my record label there nice. and okay. uh yeah and it, and it turned out really good it's a awesome record this record uh and as you can see his friend steed did some fantastic work that's some cool art yeah yeah on the sure. artwork it's a great booklet inside there as well uh so yeah he so he has an album coming out december 1st there's a video out right now as well for a song called no man's land so if you go on youtube and put joe bailey no man's land there's a full video that's on there right now really great video if you want to check it out uh so check it out and the other thing that's happening is in january me and joe have a project that we do together called the dark monarchy and we've done three albums already under this name uh the first one was just the self-titled one that has this album cover on it this uh -huh. is me and him both were talking the other day saying how we had such fond memories of doing this album it was such a fun record to do together and such an interesting way to write songs what we did is we we each decide to write let's say four songs okay and he would write the first three and a half minutes of the song and once he was done he would send it to me and i would conclude it okay then i would send him to four of my songs with three or four minutes of music and then he would conclude my music and that's how old albums were written like that so that's the first record the second record that we did together was called all roads lead to rome right so okay. this this record also turned out really really good we're very happy with this one as well but the artwork again is really nicely done by joe i'm sorry by steve steve holland sure, no, sure. great stuff oh, cool. Oh, cool so january we're going to be working on that together the next album it's going to be our fourth one the third album i have it in the other room sorry i didn't forgot to bring it out here to show you but uh yeah we're going to be working on that uh also i forgot to mention uh uh, two two or three days before December 1st, I'm going to be releasing a digital-only Christmas EP of songs that I'm doing under the broad Project Gemini. I think I always, mostly, well, almost every single year since I've started Project Gemini, I've done a Christmas EP I of songs. That, yeah. Yep. yeah, so one, I missed last year because it's, I had a lot of stuff on the table. I just didn't have time to do it. But this year, I was able to get on it earlier. I started writing it in July so I would get it done. And uh, so it's gonna come out right before December. Uh, and I think people are gonna like it. I have, an, I have a Christmas epic, like 11 minute song on this one. So uh, it, it, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be good. I think people are gonna like it. Uh, it's three songs, but one song is like, like I said, 10, 11 minutes long. The other one's like seven minutes, the other one's five. So it's almost like 30 minutes, it's like a Kiss record from the seventies, you know, wow. 30, okay. 30, 30 minutes long, you know, so. Uh, yeah, so I got that going on, and there's still lots to come. Like I said, I have two more, two more Project Gemini albums already in the can that are gonna come out next year as well. Awesome. Well, if 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 anything, I've learned a couple things here. One is you're you're just creative as hell, and you're making music left, right, and sideways, and so that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, you know, one thing. So my son's a, a aspiring guitar player, and I kind of thought as we're talking about it because you know. Again, the one man band thing is really impressive in the sense one that one, but you know, like yeah, writing the music, putting the music out, promoting the music, uh, making you know, making sure making a point to make sure there's physical media, you know, you're covering all these bases. 
Um, what what's a piece of advice you would give to any aspiring musician? Because it can be a little daunting because obviously the the business model of music is always changing and it's a lot different now versus five, ten, twenty, thirty years ago. What's a good piece of advice you can give somebody about picking up the instrument, playing music, stick to your passion? What, what and not to put not to say there's one absolute piece of advice, but what's something that comes to mind that you would impose on? younger people who are passionate about music, creative about music, etc. I'll give you one word. And I, th and I think this is something that is, is extremely, extremely important to all the things that you mentioned. Patience. Because I think that we live in a generation where people want everything now, 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 sure. now, now. Right. I want this yes. now, yep. this now. So, but be patient work on your craft, work on your guitar playing, work on this and that, you know, work on your, your learn, learn, yeah. yeah, learn, and I'll yeah. tell, and another important thing too, is in, in terms of the patience is that to stay in the game, you know, you will get frustrated sometimes where you're like, oh, this is nothing's gonna work. Oh, I'm trying so hard, nothing's happening. Be patient. There have been so many times I've heard and myself included where because I didn't stop, and I kept doing my things and I kept putting stuff out and I kept playing and was doing things that eventually you will get seen by somebody. It's just a matter of if you're patient enough to stay long enough in the game to get seen, because that's the thing that people don't realize is that record people are all the same. They want to see how serious you are about it. Don't forget, if you if you want them to invest in you or to, you know, put money behind you, they have to know that you're serious about this, not that some guy who's gonna, you know, stop doing it at the drop of a hat. Sure. If you're if you're sitting there doing it for like many years and you're constantly doing it, you know, and you're still, you know, battling and pushing through and they see that you're putting an effort into it. You will, your time will come. I've seen so many times where bands have decided, okay, I, I'm, that's it, I'm done. We, we tried this for four years, it didn't work out. And you know what? If they, if they maybe waited like a, maybe another year, so who knows what could have happened? And it's happened so many times. You know, I've, I've been in situations where we were in bands where they're like, oh, I don't know how this is, this is going so well, but we waited, we gutted it out and we had our chance and we were made sure that we were ready for it. And things happen, and that's the thing. Right now, especially, there's no no reason why you can't be at least moderately successful on your own because the internet gets you in front of way more people than it did when I started playing. You know, sure, to, sure. to get in front of this many people back in my day, you have to get a major label release to have that happen, and you'd have to be in every kind of magazine, be played on radio and stuff like that. Now there's internet radio, now there's virtual online magazines, you can send Through stuff. Direct you to can, consumer, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can directly send all your music to the magazine people, they can hear it within an hour of talking to you, or even less, and then they can review it within a couple of days and it's up. So there's so many advantages now, you just have to stay patient and stay in the game. Well, it reminds me, there's this famous quote that Brian Cranston, who played Walter White on Breaking mm -hmm. Bad, I, I forget where I heard it. I think he was doing an interview, and he talked about, because he was a guy that he didn't get his break until later in his career. I think he was in his 40s when he got, like, Malcolm in the Middle, and then that led to Oh, Breaking yeah, yeah. But uh, he, there was four things that he said, and I always remember this, and when you're talking about it, it's exactly on, on, on point. He said, you know, you got to have talent, which, you know, either you're born with it or some people can, through hard work, really, create, yeah. you know, create a skill. You got to have luck. You know, you, sometimes you create your own luck. You just have to be in the right place, right time. But, you know, you mm -hmm. have to be out. 
But the other two is exactly what you're talking about is patience and persistence. Yeah. Because you can't get too discouraged when things aren't going your way, but you got to be persistent and you got to just keep grinding. You got to pick up the guitar every day. You got to try to learn something new every week. You got to, you know, so exactly what you're talking about, Mark, it, it just made me think about it. So that's a successful guy. Here's another successful guy. So <laughs> what do you say? Maybe they know what they're talking about, folks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. I mean, I'd like to think I have some idea of what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Mark, Anthony K, Project Gemini, been a pleasure talking to you again. Thanks again for the Kiss Roundtable uh, uh, effort we did not mm-hmm. too long ago, and I, I hope this isn't the last time we have you on the podcast because uh, I really like learning about not only what you're up to, but just a wealth of knowledge of, of self-producing, making your own music in this music. It's clear, it's evident that you love music. And yes. I always like talking with people who are passionate about not only what they do, but also what they like talking about. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and so that shines through. So, Mark, appreciate it. Thanks so much, sir. Thank you very much. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.